Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Tuesday, the 28th day of July 2020, which means it's almost August, which means my older son goes to college in a few weeks, which means I'm old, I guess. Uh, on this day in 1869, according to the Slingshot Collective Day Planner, which you can get a copy of at slingshotcollective.org, this day in 1869, women shoemakers in Lynn, Massachusetts, demand equal pay and form the first national women's union, which if I have my history correct, which is not guaranteed, I believe eventually morphed into a union that I worked for at one point. Pretty cool stuff. So now that I'm recording these as YouTube videos, as well as podcasts, I am having to deal with a thing that I have never had to deal with in 25 years of radio and podcasting, which is how I'm dressed. One of the beautiful things about radio is nobody cares how you're dressed. And I, I tend to wear the same thing almost every day. I bought like 10 of the same shirt at Target, except that I think some are navy blue, some are black, and some have V-necks and some have crew necks. But essentially, I look the same every day, especially from the waist up. I might be wearing different shorts and jeans and that kind of thing on the bottom. But from the waist up, I pretty much look the same every day. So um, I realize that that might get a little visually boring. So I've accessorized with a hat today, which, of course, you're not seeing the full glory of if you're listening to the podcast. And I've put a shirt on over my T-shirt as well uh, because I'm giving 100% to this. Uh, as you can see, for, uh, no expense has been spared. Um, it's just like Jurassic Park. So uh, today we continue with this book, Pointers to Insight, uh, The Life of a Zen Monk by Soko Morinaga Roshi. And this is definitely a sequential thing. So if you didn't hear the previous episode of this, you should go back and listen to that first. And we are on uh, chapter three. Here's uh, Soko. He's the younger person in this picture with his first teacher, Zuigan Roshi. This is chapter three, The Unchangeable. So he remember that he's gone off to fight in World War II with other high school students uh, because the war was going poorly for Japan and they eventually uh, conscripted liberal arts students and they lowered the age. So he ended up going off to fight in World War II and then he he comes back. The unchangeable. The end of the war found me still alive and I was soon demobilized. Somehow, I got hold of a multi-band radio and listened to broadcasts about the German war trials. Even now, I can hear ringing in my ears the echo of that voice pronouncing the words, To be hanged. Newsreels were also shown, probably a policy determined by the American Army of Occupation. I saw them on the fifth floor of a crumbling, fire-torn concrete building in a bombed street in Toyama, where the Daiwa department store now stands. I could not help but feel sickened by the sight of German generals dragged to a gallows set atop a large platform and hanged in the public square amidst the stares of huge crowds, and the corpses of the Italian leader Mussolini and of his lover dangling head down from a wire noose and then being dragged around the streets with everyone cursing them and hurling stones. One by one, we pupils returned to school, clad in government surplus uniforms. But for all of us young men who had lived until then with no firm beliefs, the big question was how to distinguish between good and evil. Though classes were supposed to be taking place, factually there were none. If a teacher entered with books, someone would request, Sir, would you sit down for a while? And with him thus seated, the young men back from the war would in turn, from the rostrum, address the others. Quote, As luck would have it, our lives were spared, and we are back at home and at school. But what we believed was good changed overnight to evil. 
Who knows how long we shall live from now, but surely we want to live believing in something unchangeably good and something unchangeably bad, don't we? If we don't sort this out, we'll never be able to live with firm convictions however much we study. What do you think? Unquote. Thus we pondered and discussed day after day. We had a philosophy teacher, Tasuku Hara, who later became a lecturer of philosophy at Tokyo University. He was an excellent teacher who, I learned later, died young. One day, Mr. Hara, who was more like an elder brother than a teacher to us, said, I would also like to say something. And mounting the rostrum gave us the following extremely kind and sincere advice. Quote, the philosopher Kant said, even were we to pursue for our whole lives the question of good and evil, we would never find the answer. All we may hope to come by is a yardstick for good and evil. And that's the end of the Kant quote. This is now the teacher again. This might mean that judged by a Japanese yardstick, this was a holy war, whereas judged by an American yardstick, it was a war of aggression. I think, therefore, rather than seeking to label this good and that bad, you should devote your lives to the search for the largest possible yardstick which will hold good whatever the time and place and which will be acceptable to the largest number of people. However, since such a large yardstick is not something you will acquire overnight, I suggest you begin your quest from this very moment by taking up your studies again in this school. For all that, the debate went on and on, but at any rate, lessons were resumed. From that time on, I thought a great deal about the question of good and bad. I think it was not just a problem for young people like us, but also a problem for the middle-aged and old. We had all completely lost sight of an ethical standard. We were no longer even knew how best to bring up our children. At that time, my own situation changed greatly. I had lost both my parents at one blow the year before the war ended. The shock of my mother's death had proved too great for my father, who had already suffered a brain hemorrhage. He had a relapse and died in a coma the following morning. My three elder sisters were already married by then. One was living in Manchuria, one in Shanghai, and one in Moji in Kyushu, which is in Japan. As at that time travel was difficult, they were unable to attend the funeral, and so it was left to me to make arrangements with the help of relatives. My call-up papers had already arrived, and I had barely two days in which to rush the funeral through and settle my affairs before I entered the army. Returning home at the end of the war, I was faced with the problems of property tax and death duties. For generations, my family had been landowners and had let the small amount of land it possessed to tenant farmers. Father used to say to me, there is nothing more reliable than land. Fire won't burn it, floods won't wash it away, and robbers can't carry it off. So whatever you do, at least make sure you don't part with the land. But the post-war land reform program took the land away. There was nothing left I could trust. All I had believed secure turned out to be transitory. Even my parents, whom I had never expected to lose so soon, had died within a day of each other. Further, as a result of a post-war measure to freeze bank deposits, not a penny was available from the insurance my father had bought to safeguard his children in the event of something untoward happening. Yet prices rose rapidly. What could be bought yesterday for one yen cost ten the next day and soon after one hundred. As students in those days did not do part-time work, I had no idea how to go about earning money with my own hands. So the fact was I had lost both an ethical standard by which to live and the financial means with which to support myself. 
Thinking back and recalling the utter misery of that time, it would not have been surprising if I had joined some gang of criminals or hurled myself under a train. I would wake up feeling wretched, spending the day somehow without any feeling of fulfillment, and so the prospect of waking up next morning looked even more gloomy. Though this vicious cycle continued day after day, yet somehow I graduated from high school. But then, since I felt no inclination to go on to university, I just idled away my time, feeling miserable. After quite some while, it suddenly struck me that the real reason I no longer knew what to do with my life was for that as long as I could remember, I had just read books and theorized about things without ever imposing any discipline upon myself. We'll stop there for today. I just wanted to add... Um, Yesterday, I gave my notice at the radio station where I've been working. I've only been working there a few months. And uh, kind of this that last line about imposing discipline on oneself, that really struck me kind of in relation to this change I've made. If you know me at all, you know that over the course of my life, I have constantly been changing jobs and that I finally came to a place about a year ago, around the time that this podcast began, and it was actually a big part of why I started this podcast, where I realized that I didn't want to be chasing jobs anymore. I'd never had a job that made me happy for a brief period of time, maybe, but I had never worked for anyone and ended up feeling good about it. And so much of the discomfort and displeasure with my life came from this work that I did on behalf of, you know, enriching other people. And even when I was doing good work, um, you know, work with, a, I think, a noble end, I still never ended up feeling good about what I was doing. And I kind of realized last year uh, that I just didn't want to work for anyone ever again. And then when we moved, I did what I always do, which is I started applying for jobs and I found one at this radio station and then a bunch of things at this radio station started to really sit poorly with me. And so I decided I'm not going to I'm not going to do it anymore. And that means I'm going to really have to focus on um, doing this and the jazz session and, and really trying to to break out of the super niche world that those are in and see if they can actually be made to bring in some funds. Um, it's a little scary, but. Uh, it is also, I have also been thinking a lot about what I'm willing to give up in order to not have to work. And the answer to that is quite a lot. Now, obviously I'm married, um, and I have kids. And so there's some kind of negotiating I have to do there, but, um, I'm not getting any younger and I don't want to live any more of my life <laughs> the way I just keep repeating over and over again. So, uh, so I'm excited about this new change and, um, some of the things that, are in this book, I think will speak in a, you know, maybe kind of tangential way, but I, I still think speak fairly directly for all that to a lot of the things that I've been thinking about and talking about over the course of this podcast, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to, to share it with you. Uh, so speaking of all of that, if you are interested in becoming a member and you haven't become one yet, you can go to a briefchat.com. There should be a link um, right in the video and also in the notes for the video and in the notes for the podcast. And once you're there, you can click on support the show and become a member. If you uh, are listening to this and you want to see the video version, you can go to abriefchat.com and click on ABC on YouTube. It's right there in the navigation bar, and it'll take you right to the playlist of the episodes. 
And if uh, you want to hear all the past episodes long before it was a YouTube channel, uh, you can go to briefchat.com and find all those there, including all the poetry episodes and the Farwa's book reviews and so on and so forth. So that's that. Uh, I hope you're having a good day. I hope that things are going well for you. I hope you and your family are staying safe. I love you. A better world is possible, but we do have a lot of work to do.